Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Selah Fellowship podcast of our Wednesday services. We are currently studying through the book of Exodus. Please open your Bibles to Exodus as we dive into our study this evening. All right, Exodus, chapter 28. Last week, um, Tyler was teaching 26, 27, and... um, you know, so as he was preparing for it, we were talking about different styles of teacher or teachings. You know, just some people are more storytellers and some people are more academic, like the Greek, the Hebrew, you know. And, um, some people are more, um, they spiritualize everything. Some people are more funny. Some people are not. And uh, I tend to be more informational. So it, as Tyler and I were talking, it's, it's really hard to go through scriptures like this that talk about the the tabernacle and all the implements and, and the, um, the symbolisms of now tonight we're going to get into the priesthood and the garments and things for me not to go there. Because um, I'm very fascinated by it. Because I always say, and it keeps it simple for me, the Old Testament is a picture of everything that we have now reco- have had delivered to us in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. It is the, Jesus is that solid to what the Old Testament was the shadow of. And so I just tend to like that, you know. So the past couple of weeks we've been um, looking at the tabernacle and the picture of basically the throne room of God in heaven and, you know, what that looks like and the fulfillment of even that being symbolic of Jesus Christ. And now tonight we get into the priesthood and... Um, you know, the priest was, of course, a mediator. He would go between the people, and he would represent the people to God, and he would represent God to the people. And, of course, that is everything that Jesus Christ is to our our life, our salvation, is that one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. So before we get started, I just want to give a couple of foundational verses. So as I go through this, you will glean from it as the Spirit reveals to you what you need to understand about your calling to God and what he's and what in who he is and what he's doing to you. Hebrews chapter three, verse one says this, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Jesus is our high priest. Hebrews eight, one and two. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected not by man. And then Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he lives always lives to make intercession for them. So we understand as we're going to go through the priesthood tonight, get an idea of their clothing and what they had to wear and everything and their responsibilities. It is a picture of Jesus Christ. Now also, second point, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this, But you are a chosen generation, speaking now to the church, those sons and daughters of God Most High, who have come into that relationship because they have confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and now find themselves, as, as John 1.12 says, as we have received now, we are sons and daughters of God, right? So it says, you now are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That's us. We were once not a people of God. Now, if you were of Jewish heritage, there's a little bit of a squeak in there that you can say, well, actually, you know, my great-grand, you know, I had a little bit of a, of an in there. But for most of us Gentiles, we had nothing. And now we are a royal priesthood. So again, this scripture speaks to us. Twofold message. Who is Jesus in the picture of what we go through tonight? But then also, who are we? As we are Christ's. So, chapter 28, verse 1. Now, take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may minister to me as priest, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak 
to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. And these are the garments which you shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. Minister to me, minister to me. God keeps bringing up this idea of the priest ministering to him. First, I just want you to notice that the priesthood is an appointed position. So this is not something you want to go looking for as a job post, unless you're called to it. Now, it's funny, a few years ago, especially when one denomination in this world had a lot of um, priests exit because of a lot of scandal that was involved in it, there were actually billboards in Chicago, which is a heavily populated Catholic area, that they were advertising with the little white squared black collar thing that it's like the priesthood, the job you'll remember. You know, something, it, I can't remember what the slogans were, but they were trying to get you to come and sign up. They, this is a great job opportunity. Wouldn't want it unless you're called to it. Because the, well, realistically, coming from a calling that we all are given by God and having that be a target of attack by an enemy who is against anything that has to do with God, you don't want to be in it unless you're called to be in it because only by then are you equipped and covered by God by being in his grace, in his call, in the center of his will. So that's what you want, right? I mean, and so many uh, times you'll see people that step into that and they, they're looking for some kind of glory or some kind of ambition. They want to work themselves up to a certain place within their denominational structure or whatever, and it goes really bad. And the reason it goes really bad is because it needs to be a calling, you know, it's something that we answer, right? Now, Jesus, of course, was appointed. There's only one begotten son of the Father, and he, of course, is the high priest that we're talking about. Because we're going to see tonight there's high priests and then there's priests. You know, Jesus is the high priest. We are a royal priesthood. Big difference, you know, in how those two things work out, right? Anyway, he is appointed, of course, by birthright. Now, you can say, well, and how do I know if I'm going to be a priest and things? And I know right when I'm using that terminology that right away you're thinking of that position of a some, somehow a, a robed uh, representer of the church and it's very holy or very high. No, this would be, a pastor would be the same role as maybe, a, you know, we could liken it as a priest, somebody delivering God's word, somebody being a mediator, not in the sense of salvation or covering, but in being able to intercede and go to God on behalf of others, as well as represent, teach the word of God and show who he is in character and likeness, you know, by being Christ-like and growing in that. So we're called to that. Now, I know a lot of times that when we start talking like this, the ladies will go like, well, I'm shutting down because we know it's all about the man. And so, you know, no, let me remind you, ladies, only in Second Peter chapter two, it only there is only a restriction to one place within the church, the church, the called out ones, the ecclesia of God. And that is that you are not to be in a place of teaching in authority over men. That's all. That's what Paul says to, to, to Timothy. And the reason he says this is because why? Because Eve was deceived. So it's like, all right, so don't do it because Eve was deceived and because, of course, we find out in Corinthians, because of God's created order. God, Jesus, man, then woman, right? So he just says, I want this to work this way because I really want men. They are so messed up, ladies. He wants them seeking Jesus all the time, right? Can we talk? See, when you say something like that, you, there's always a lot of motion out there. That's it, one of those things you can say, and it, you're, all of a sudden you hear all this like, you know, <laughs> preach it, preach it, brother. Um, <laughs> no, watch out for that now. But we all, because there are different callings, right? And Ephesians makes it clear in Ephesians chapter 4 that there are those places within the church that men have been given to, as gifts to God. And there is that service of pastor-teacher as well as apostles and prophets and, and those that would be sent out, the apostles, uh, the missionaries and things. But I want you to know that all spiritual giftings, if you do a study of them, of the Holy Spirit, all fall under those four categories. It's not that women aren't supposed to teach or that women can't be prophets or that they can't practice pastoral 
compassion and counseling. They just are to do it within the guidelines of what Paul then says to Timothy is how the church is supposed to function. For the glory of God and for the productivity of the call of God upon people's hearts. I just always like to throw that out there because I don't want you women, as you go home now, those of you who will be returning to your place, to understand that you have the ability, as you probably experienced on the field, those of you that are coming off the field, to realize that God will use you, can use you, and is wanting to use you in everything that he's equipped you for. And there is no restraint on that, except he doesn't want you walking into that place of a senior pastor of a fellowship where you have authority and teaching over men. That's it, right? Um, again, the story of when I appointed a woman, Katie, as worship leader, um, back in Chicago at my church there, and this, and she was a younger woman, so her father actually asked her to ask me what scripture I could show him that says that she could be a worship leader. And I just really politely said, ask your dad what scripture says I can't. You know, he was looking at it from a no, that, that just messes with my mind. Women shouldn't. No, they can, and absolutely. So I don't want to get too far off on that, but just so, to let you know that it is an absolute call of God on people's hearts as to where they fall into those categories of going out as missionaries or being, you know, having that gift of prophecy or having that gift of teaching and, you know, compassion as a pastor is supposed to have and stuff. And that's really what we're talking about here. So notice, though, that three times, really, he says that he wants to call these priests to minister unto me, God speaking minister unto him. So thinking about that in the Old Testament, you go, yeah, man, there was all that duties. There was going up and down and the washings and the killings and the blood and the, you know, the roasting and the eating and the, you know, there's all the sacrificial stuff going on. But let me remind you of a verse in chapter 13, book of Acts 2, verse 2. As they ministered, this is speaking of the church, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. As they ministered to the Lord, we still, as New Testament believers, minister and should, first and foremost, to the Lord. There is no small job that God ever asks you to do. There's only small faith that doesn't get you to realize that anything God asks of you is eternally significant in his kingdom. Now, we don't totally understand why sometimes. He asks you, he leads you, he places you in a, in a position where you have to do something that seems so small and so insignificant that you're wondering, what the, you know? But doesn't God say to be faithful in the small things so then he can then, by knowing your heart to be so willing and so open, leads you to greater and more extensive things. And I don't even know what that means because really the only call for any of us to be is faithful in what God asks of us, not big or large or numbers or anything like that. But he asks us to be faithful. But just notice that it is that we all should be focused on ministering unto him first. So again, as you guys maybe will return home, or any of us here at serving at Selah, and you're asked to do something which seems menial, or a small, hey, do you know where I just was? Do you know what I was doing? Do you know how many kids I had in my class? I mean, you know, there's just thoughts that can run through your head and they're going to eat away at the truth of surrender and understanding of what God's really called you to if you let the enemy get in like that. So don't, right? Prayer, worship, fasting, study, meditation on the word of God. And of course, as the priests are exampling here, Service is always of ministering unto the Lord. It says this in Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then verse 23 says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're asked to do, do it heartedly. It means my heart's in it. You know, we're going to see that the priest's heart and what he does, that, that's a big part of what it is to really serve the Lord. So, again, no job too small. Just the faith to understand that if God has asked it of you, it is something that you need to do. Now, note also that the priestly garment here, it says that it's for glory and beauty. It was supposed to be beautiful. 
Now, you know, there was that one show like Orange is the New Black, because black used to be the black, and we wear a lot of black, don't we, here at Pottersfield, in Mudman, and, you know, I, in, the, in the fashion industry, we wear a lot of black. It, it, there's something stylish about it. But it's interesting that priests were supposed to wear colorful, beautiful, artistically made woven garments. They were supposed to be joyful and glorious and beautiful. Now, there are religions that have taken that too far, and they're also uh, getting a little crazy with uh, the ornateness. And that is supposed to mean something incredibly close and connected with God. Where we know incredibly close and connected with God is supposed to be personal relationship. Now, what's interesting is, um, you know, as we get into all this, you say, well, Steve, you're not wearing a robe, you're not wearing an ephod, you know, no turban on your head. What's the deal? Well, because the high priest has come now and already fulfilled that. I'm just a royal priest, so I get to do something a little bit more casual up here, right? <laughs> but it's interesting. No, I've just seen recently now, there's actually this, oh, gosh, I want to say it's, I want to say it's on Facebook, that there's actually a site now that you go to and I can't remember what it's called, and it's good, because then you guys won't look it up and go and get all in the flesh and everything. But there's actually a site you can go to that's busting out contemporary um, younger preachers, pastors, right, that are wearing, like, you know, $700 tennis shoes because they're cool, because they're trying to relate, you know. They're tatted up. They're ripped up. They're silk screened up, you know, um, you know, they got the hair and the emo thing. All, everything is like as cool as it can be. And now they're being busted out. They don't have the mansion maybe, you know, with the exclusivity of bodyguards and all that. But they are dressing and wearing these, what they would look at as somehow relatable priestly garments. And it is going to cause a black eye once again on the church. Right? So as much as we go through these garments and we talk about them, and even here it says they should be beautiful and glorious, and it's like, watch yourself. Don't try to relate to the culture so much that you actually become sucked into it and now can be actually called out about it as you go home and try to be what you are, or as we just serve in church, right? But notice the high priest garment was to be a consecrated garment, and consecration just means it's dedicated or it's, it's sanctified. And of course, Jesus is the most consecrated of all. Is he was the son of God. He was God's blood, God himself, wrapped in human flesh as he came down, right? Now, we have these sinful flesh bodies that we have to live in, but we, by faith, get covered in the righteous garments of Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God in him. I love that, to think about what we have now come to have by just uh, faith in Christ, right? It's just a beautiful thing, right? And so set apart. Jesus was set apart, but now we too are called to be set apart. First Peter chapter 1, verse 16, Be holy, for I am holy. Now, we, you know, we read verses like that, and we're like, no, you know, because there's no way I can make it. It is about intent of the heart. Absolutely. It's about how you desire to walk, how you practice to walk, how you, how you take advantage of the resources, of the tools that God has given you to walk. And yes, we blow it, and yes, we mess up. And, and Brendan's talking about just he, he thinks he's doing a great job under the Lord. Well, so did Paul by killing Christians. You know, he was serving the Lord, you know, and then he, he imagine him looking back and going, you didn't do anything like that, I'm sure. But not to, not to bring that as an example, that was probably a really bad, uh, that reminds me of a story thing. But, um, but the fact is we do mess up, even sincerely, we can be sincerely wrong. And so keeping in that, that oneness with the Lord abiding is how we avoid that. Now, no, I like to, I always like to point out this when, that it says that these garments and the, this, the beauty of them and everything were supposed to be made with, you know, by artisans that were filled with the spirit of wisdom. And I, and I just love that because, of course, I'm an artist. And that's part of what I've always recognized about myself is that God gave me a certain talent that I've been able to do something with. Now, we look at Pastor Mike, and he actually has a picture, you know, in his office of, I think he was 15 and, you know, he's in front of this six-foot pot that's on a wheel. And he's saying, like, that reminds me that God gave this to me. Now, he's also got, like, this full honking beard. And I'm like, at 15, really? You know, that's a whole other gift. But <laughs> seriously, who does that? But, 
the idea that God has given you all something. You all do. Like sometimes somebody will come up and they'll go, gosh, I wish I could draw like you. And I'm like, take my class. I can, I can show you. You know, it's like, oh, no, you know, I, I could never, I can't even draw a stick figure. You know, it's like, well, all right, what can you do? Because I know you've got something. Because God doesn't make nothing. You know, nobody nothing. And this is really bad English. And you see that I'm an artist because I, I didn't do well in, in English class. But the idea, everybody has something. You're either a writer, a communicator, a musician, maybe an artist, maybe a dancer, maybe how you move or maybe how you're able to figure or administrate or maybe how you host or are able to welcome people or the, the grace of being able to give without having to have a feeling at all of expectation or receiving back. Or I mean, there is giftings by God that he gives us all individually. And 1 Peter 4.10 says that everyone has been given a gift of God that they might manifest him to others, right? So I just want to encourage you, don't take the gifts, the calling, the talent, the service of God lightly, anybody. Everything you have, now you feel like, well, I got this, I, you know, I got a little bit of game in this one area, but God's not using it. Then maybe you need to pray about how God can. Open up opportunities, help you to see opportunities. Where can he use me for this? And I've been in the secular world with my talents for the last 30-some years. And now I get to work in a ministry setting for, for the glory of God with everything I've got as a talent. Now, I still like to go out into the world with my talent, not because it is fun to be in the world, but because the world looks and goes, whoa, wait a minute. And then they start asking why you act differently than everybody else in their, in their vision, you know, when it comes to expressing a gift of God. And you get to then share the grace of the gospel, you know, with words, maybe, more so maybe with your life. Why don't you do what everybody else does? Why don't you handle it the way everyone else handles it? And, and that's what reveals God. We all have those opportunities. So the first thing that um, we're going to see here is there, there is this ephod that they are supposed to read. And I'm not going to really go with verse 4 so much because we're going to read actually each one and, and what they're supposed to be. But the first one is the ephod. They shall take gold, um, blue, purple, and scarlet threads, and fine linen, and they shall make an ephod of gold, purple, blue, scarlet thread, and fine woven linen artistically worked. It shall have two shoulder straps joined together, joined at its two edges, so it shall be joined together. And the inter- intricately woven band of the ephod, which is on it, shall be in the same workmanship made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. Then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and six of the names on the other stone in order of their birth with the work of an engraver in the stones, like an engraving of a signet. Like that would be like a signet ring, right? Um, You shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in settings of gold. You shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as a memorial stone of the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. You shall also make settings of gold. You shall make two chains of pure gold that, like braided cords and fasten the braided chains to the setting. So this is describing an ephod. Now, the, the definition of an ephod is kind of like, um, it's like an apron. It's almost like a tank top with big straps here, right? And um, hole cut out, two straps here, and then it's you know usually pretty long, but open on the sides, right? So you've got these two shoulder stones, these onyx that are put on each shoulder and kind of clasp it together. And they've got the six names, six on one, six on the other, 12 names of Israel going in. So just to give you that visual picture, of course, this is a picture of then Israel on the shoulders of the priest. And you think of... You know, somebody bearing something on their shoulders, the weight of it, the weight of a people. And that's exactly what the priest was doing. He was going before God, and he was taking the burden of the sin of the people. Now, we can easily see that when it comes to Jesus, right? He bore the ultimate sins of the world upon his shoulders. So he is the, again, ultimate high priest, you know? But now what about us in in our 
priestly roles or in this ministry that we've been given of reconciliation. We all have been given that ministry. Second Corinthians makes it clear. So you have roles to play in other people's lives for salvation. It seems so strange because God is sovereign. God is well able to save to the uttermost. And we just, you know, Jesus is up there making intercession. Somehow, though, our prayers matter. And we can lift people to the Lord, our family, our friends, acquaintances that we work with, come into contact with. Even people we see walking down the street as the Lord especially reveals somebody to us and their need. We can lift them before him and bear their burdens. In fact, it tells us that in Galatians 6 two, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now again, Old Testament, we got a lot of law going on here, right? But now as New Testament, we're supposed to fulfill the law of Christ. And what's that? Love. You will know them by their love for one another. You will know them because they will consider a brother, another, a purpose beyond themselves. That's supposed to be us. So, again, this picture being very clear that we, as a royal priesthood, need to be about intercession and counting our prayers as before the throne of God. Come boldly to my throne. That's confidently. It's not arrogantly. But it's something that we're allowed to do, right, as this priesthood, right? And, again, this ephod being an apron, uh, so to speak, it's like... First and foremost, if, if somebody says, hey, do you have an apron? You know, who do you think of? It's mom. You know, Fern, all these years living with us, Jan's mom, last seven years, you know, six, be seven this year, she was living with us. She's home in heaven now. I wouldn't be surprised if she has an apron on because that was Fern. She always had an apron on. And when she came to live with us, and you know, she was 102 when she just passed. And so let me just tell you, sometimes 102-year-old be a little messy when she's eating, right? But instead of putting a bib on her, we just always put an apron on her because that was what she was always comfortable in. And so there was mom in an apron because an apron is a symbol of an ultimate servant, right? Jesus wrapped basically a, a, a cloth around him when he washed his disciples' feet. He wrapped an apron almost around his waist, right? And so it is the ultimate picture of what a servant is. Now, we are, of course, called ultimately as priests to be servants, Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. We follow Jesus. We are Jesus' followers. And so it's the exact same thing that this is what we do as servants. So again, you know, you consider what God was showing us with the priesthood and why they were dressing like this. And now as royal priesthood, his children, what are we supposed to be doing? Well, we don't wear the clothes because the shadow has now been fulfilled by the image, by the object. But we in every way are supposed to be sensitive to it you know, and, and, and walking in those same ways. You shall make a breastplate, verse 15, of judgment, artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, purple, blue, and purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen, you shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square. The span shall be the length of the span, and the span shall be its width. Span is about as, your pinky from your finger, so it's about... You know, about nine inches or so on his, on his chest, right? And you should put the settings of stones in it. Four rows of stones. The first row of stone, a sardis, a topaz, an emerald. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be turquoise and sapphire and diamond. The third row, jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, 12 according to their names, like the engraving of a signet ring, each one with its own name. They shall be according to the 12 tribes. So again, now the priest has this breastplate, but notice it's called the breastplate of judgment. So there is none righteous, no, not one. We are all fallen short of glory of God. We all deserve judgment. We are all being judged. Not by Jesus. He made it clear he came to save, not to judge. But the word has already judged us. 
by God's truth, this eternal book that will survive when heaven and earth is gone is the truth that has already judged us, right? It is judged Israel. So note that the priest is supposed to wear this plate that represents that, right? You shall make chains of the, uh, for the breastplate at its ends like braided cords of gold. So it's supposed to have these connection points at the four corners. And you shall make two rings of gold on the breastplates and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplates. Then you shall put the two braided chains of gold in the two rings which are on the ends of the breastplate. And the other two ends of the braided chain you shall fasten to the to the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod. So that's connecting it up here. It's connecting it around there. It's supposed to be tight. So God is taking his children, Israel. He's given us that picture. He's putting their names on these stones and he's putting them really tight to the priest's chest, representing, again, the priest going in and representing the people, but also representing God to the people. Right? You shall make two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplates on the edge of it, which is on the inner side of the ephod. And the two other rings of gold you shall make and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod towards the front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. Then you shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings and its rings of the ephod using the blue cords so that it is above the intricately woven bands of the ephod and so that the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod. If you are in my father's hands, you know, nobody snatches out who my father's given me and who's in my father's hands, nobody can snatch out. This is showing that tightness of hold that God has on our lives as coming to him in Jesus Christ, our high priest. We're secured, we're, we're bound up, we're braided on, right? And a threefold cord is not easily broken, it says in Ecclesiastes. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart. And this is real. I read all this stuff and I go, like, okay, I can't even picture this. And your voice, it is a little bit calming. I find myself dozing right now. Hold on. Because just get this. All the names of Israel and that are on this breastplate of judgment, right? Where are they? Over his heart. When he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually, and you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the urim and the thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart. When he goes in before the Lord, so Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. Continually, all the time. He's got his children over his heart. This is the picture that he's showing us. All the time, God has you over his next to, connected to his heart. His thoughts are more than the sands of the seas about you. I know sometimes it feels like we've been left kind of unthoughtful or something's happening. I'm like, I don't get this. So he took a Sunday off or something. No, God doesn't take a Sunday off. Sunday's his busy day, right? That was a joke. You're all supposed to laugh because we know that days and times and all that, and that's not our Lord, right? But just note that he's got the children of Israel next to his heart. He's got you now as his chosen people next to his heart, right? Right there. So we really don't have to, to worry about the, the idea of what do all these stones mean and the, the colors of them and stuff. It, that was the children of Israel, but he's showing us this picture of what we now have fulfilled in the New Testament, right? Now, he's also got this pouch on this breastplate, right, that the Urim and the Thummim go into. And, and what that means is lights and perfections. Lights and perfections. I don't even need to discuss that because you all know exactly what that is. And you're like, what? No, nobody knows what that is. No, I mean, nobody's sure what that is. There's all kinds of speculation. There is talks of how light the sun would actually hit the, the stones and whether it would be, they'd reflect bright or they would dim. And what it was was a way of the priest continuously seeking God's answers. You know, some just say it was as simple as it was a black and white stone. He'd reach in, he'd pull out white. Oh, the answer is yes. He'd pull out black. The answer was no. Could have been. We don't know. Right? It, it's, it's something that we're, it's, it's not described clearly what it was. But we do know this is how they sought the Lord. And the idea was they kept it close to the heart, that abiding in Christ. Now, of course, New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. So it's not a matter of about, you know, casting lots or, 
you know, some people, Bible roulette, you know, what, what's the answer going to be? Well, just don't turn to that one about he went out and hung himself and you're Judas. You know, it's like you, there's just scriptures you don't want to catch on the day of Ermin and Thumanin with God's word. But that's not what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to now seek him by the Holy Spirit. The last time, and Jordan touched on this when he taught a couple weeks ago, the last time the casting of lots was used to make a decision, which is similar to what this is about, right, was in Acts chapter 1 when they were seeking to replace Judas to have 12 apostles. And Matthias, the lot fell on Matthias, and so he was chosen, right? That's the last time. After that, now then we get what I read earlier from Acts is where they were praying and fasting and the Holy Spirit spoke. That's how you want to be finding where God is leading, what God is directing, how God is speaking into your life by the trust, the faith, and the assurance that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, and by his word, he will answer. He will answer. It will be according to his word. I have a thought. Is that from God? Check it out in the word. I feel like this. Check it out in the word. It's all about taking it back into the word and letting the word decipher what our flesh, what our feelings, what our filters what our hurts, what our emotions can all be telling us is something we should do. God never separates himself from his word, ever. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning. We've got John, right? Just go to John chapter 1, verse 1, right there. God is his word. He never separates himself from his word. So if you ever do things or are thinking things or being led to do things that are outside of God's word, you are outside of God. If you see people walking contrary to the word of God, they are outside of God. And this is a big revelation for me because I see some pretty goofy people walking contrary to God's word and I know they're outside of God. Where do I want to stay? Inside God, abiding just like I'm supposed to. So watch for that because that is where he is going to lead us, right? And keep us. And we don't see where people are casting lots or reaching their hands in and pulling out magical stones of, you know, teaching and telling anymore. It doesn't happen. Now it's a matter of hearing the Holy Spirit. And you all are able to do that who have come to life in Christ because to have the Son, you have the Spirit. To not have the Son of God, the Spirit within you, you don't have God. You don't have that relationship. So you want to make sure that you have it so that you can be led. You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. So the robe goes underneath the ephod. Ephod comes over it, right? There shall be an opening for the head in the middle of it. It shall have a woven binding all the way around it like the opening of a coat of mail. And that would be like chain mail. So one continuous, like real tight braid, real hard edge there, right? So that it does not tear. And upon its hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet all around the hem and bells of gold between them all around. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe all the way around. Some of this stuff you read and you go like, okay, okay. Do you notice how God is into the details? When he's saying something like this, he's stressing I'm going to say it again so you don't get it wrong, right? And again, so why we look at the kind of the spiritual implication of this. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers, it, this, it will sound, it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers, and its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, that when he comes out, that he may not die. You shall also, we'll, we'll, we'll stop there and we'll go to the next one. Yeah. But so here's, the, now you got the robe, right? And all the way around the hem of the robe are pomegranates that are woven. Little, and pomegranates are fruit. That's what it, obviously, it's a, it is a fruit. It symbolizes fruit. And then there's bells, little golden bells that were in. So it's pomegranate bell, pomegranate bell, all the way around his robe, right? And so we look at that and we go, well, what does that mean? Well, pomegranates, like I said, it's a fruit. Obviously, speaking of New Testament, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. The priest, the royal priesthood, are supposed to be walking in the Spirit. We are supposed to have Spirit fruit in our lives. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I love that one, right? And, and, and keep in mind that the fruit of the Spirit is love, singular. Out of love flows joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. For, let me get Mr. White. Might as well read the rest of it, right? Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So just a little additive right there. Like, watch it as you get these spiritual gifts and you watch people walking in the Spirit that you don't think, well, I like that guy and I can walk better than him and I did better than her and I want to be part of that because... Watch it. Walking in the Spirit is truly walking where God has you, but also then growing in these fruits. And that's what it represented. The, the priest was supposed to walk in the fruit, right? In the Spirit, I mean. It's supposed to be all fruits of the Spirit, right? So then, but then you've got these bells. So what, what is the idea of, of the bells? Well, that's the evidence, basically, of the fruit is by the works, He's in there. Now, this is the, so the high priest goes behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies, right? And so all the other priests are out there and they're just hearing the little tinkle, 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 you know, oh, everything's good. Ira must be okay because the little bells are tinkling, you know. Now, tradition actually has it that after a while, they would actually tie a rope around the high priest's ankle because if they didn't hear the bells, you go in and get him. I ain't going behind the holy holy. No, you crazy. So they would just pull him out because you couldn't go in unless you had been consecrated as the high priest. Now, I don't know. Some people argue that that never happened. Some people say it was tradition. But we do know that there's pomegranates and there's bells going on. And the bells were the purpose of hearing the work go on. Well, we're not supposed to go around broadcasting our works, but we are supposed to let our works shine that the world and brethren and sisters around us would look at that and say, man, that's God, right? We're supposed to so let our works so shine that they glorify our Heavenly Father in Heaven. So... It's not that we're supposed to go around making a lot of noise, but we are supposed to have definitely an impact, a sound of our works as we walk in the Spirit, right? In fact, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that, you know, without love, we are just a clanging symbol and we just make noise, right? If we're not walking in love, which is that fruit of the Spirit. So don't go wrong in thinking that it is just about doing, it's just about tasks, because without love is the foundation of also why you're walking around and doing, you just are noisy, right? So got to make sure that we always have that idea of, of fruit and what that truly means. You shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And you should put it on a blue cord and it, that it may be on the turban. It shall be in the front of the turban. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron, that Aaron may bear the iniquities of the holy things which the children of Israel hollow in their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. So the idea, again, you got a turban. You got this plaque on the turban that says holiness to the Lord so that as the Lord was looking down, he would see this holiness to the Lord. He would be reminded that here's this guy coming in this outfit and he's representing the holiness of the, of the gifts that the people are bringing, what they're truly bringing. This is that relationship, you know, kind of picture that we're getting because we now, of course, bring our gifts by the holiness that we have in Christ Jesus. Without his righteousness covering us and without his holiness, we got nothing. We got no way to stand before God. He's so holy. He's so pure. He's so, I mean, he's spirit. Can't even see him. He's so holy. He told Moses, you'll fry. He can't do it, right? But in Christ, we're able to come boldly before his throne. We're able to have our sacrifices, our offerings of prayer, of of, of sacrifice, of, of, of you know, separating ourselves from fleshly desires, denying self, and truly giving over to God's calling, those become holiness to him, right? Now, this idea of turban, too, and wearing a hat or a head covering was also for the idea or the, um, 
expression of having a covering, coming to God in prayer and, and actually covering, covering their head so that it was like, I, I, I have to have your covering upon me. Now, you remember in Corinthians, they went through that with the women who, um, you know, how do you, how do you tell, a, you know, like a okay woman from a not okay woman and a woman that's married from not a woman that's not married and, well, she has a head covering on, right? And today still you see some denominations that practice head coverings for their women. And then you, you find some in here. I don't think anybody in here has got one. You girls are all like, I'm free in Christ. Forget it. And that's the truth. You are all free in Christ. Christ is our covering. So we don't have to be concerned about that anymore. But today, you still, when you go to Israel and you, like, when you go to see the, the Temple Mount and you go to, you know, the Wailing Wall and stuff, you, even as a Gentile guy, you have to pull a yarmulke on your head. You can't go before something holy that they consider holy, these big stones, without something on your head. And that's hard for me to keep on because there ain't nothing to bobby pin it to, right? But... <laughs> That funny story, we had this one guy go over to Israel once on a trip from church, and they went into the eternal flame thing. You know, you walk around this big uh, kind of pit with a flame in the middle of it, and it's the burning eternal flame, and he bent over, and the yarmulke fell into the flame. And it was like, oh, my gosh. Don't. It's, yeah, thank God he did not have his Calvary Chapel Blue Island shirt on at the time. Um, but anyway, you got to secure those babies, right? Because that's part of their holiness. Well, not for me. Not for you, because Christ is our covering. Christ is our holiness. He is the one that we go in, his name, his presence, abiding in, or we don't go. We don't go successfully, right? Because it is coming by him and who he is. So that's what the turban meant. It simply, it simply meant a submission, a covering to God Almighty. He is he's everything, and he's what I need. You shall skillfully weave the tunic of fine thread. You shall make the turban of fine linen, and you shall make the sash of woven work. So just now talking about the, um, the fabrics and what things should be made of, and, and they keep pressing this idea of, of linen. Why was lin- linen so important back then? Well, this is what it actually says in Ezekiel, chapter 44, verse 17 and 18. Kind of interesting. And it shall be, whenever they enter the gates of the inner court, that they shall put on linen garments, no wool shall come upon them while they minister into the, within the gates of the inner court or within the house. They shall have linen turbans on their heads and linen trousers on their bodies. They shall not clothe themselves with anything that, and here it comes, causes sweat. Seriously. That, like, God is concerned about sweat. Yeah, because that's what that's really saying is, it is all about inspiration, not perspiration, when it comes to seeking God. Come on, you got, sometimes you've got to slip those little things in there and see if people are still awake. So I don't know if any of you come from that Pentecostal kind of flavor of life. That's fine. Nothing against that. But just watch it that it is not about working yourself up into a frenzy and thinking that somehow that gets you closer to God. It doesn't. It's about the inspiration, not the perspiration. So, because God, he said it. Ezekiel 44, go look it up, all right? I don't care what translation, God doesn't want us sweating. But that was the point. He, I mean, now, obviously, Jesus, in his labor for us, right, went to the Garden of Gethsemane and, like sweat, dropped bloods, right? I'm not saying the work isn't intense sometimes, but I'm saying it is not about working ourselves up to what that work is supposed to look like. Where God guides, he provides, meaning he equips and calls and so that's where you, you know, that's where it really comes together. So watch that you don't get caught up into that where, you know, try harder, work longer. It, it got to sweat, sweat. It's like, no, it's, that just means it's hot and maybe you need a break. But don't be thinking that gets you closer to God. And then, of course, a sash woven for the work. For Aaron's sons shall make tunics. Now, this is the sons. So the, you got Aaron the high priest is wearing all that. Now you've got his sons. Again, it's by relationship. We, you know, the priesthood was by the one family, Aaron's family. You go, well, and who's supposed to be our family? You are all born of Christ. We are brothers and sisters of the same family. So this qualifies us, right? For Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics and you shall make sashes for them and you shall make hats for them for glory and for beauty. So you shall put on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him, you shall anoint them 
consecrate them and sanctify them and that they may minister to me as priests. So again, it was about ministering to the Lord. So those that are coming up, those that don't have that position or, you know, this certain high priest, not, you know, when, when the high priest would die, it was the next oldest son that would pick it up and the next oldest son that would pick it up. But all the other guys, it was still about holy sanctification and still serving with this kind of seriousness before the Lord. And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thigh. So these guys got biker shorts on, you know? I'm just saying, whether it's briefs or it's boxers, they were wearing boxers. And it was, why? To cover their nakedness. God is seeking to cover us in our service to him. Doesn't want us embarrassed. Doesn't want us exposed. Love covers a multitude of sin. Aren't you glad, right, that God has mercy on those that are seeking, that are serving, that are in the middle of his will? He's not about shaming us. In fact, Christ took our shame on the cross to set us free, not to expose us that we would have to go through it. Now, again, these are men that are consecrated, sanctified, set apart for his service. Not those walking in rebellious, not Eli's sons. Remember Eli's boys that were doing something different and God wiped out the whole family of the priesthood at that time. So it is about abiding. It is about the choice you have. God's love will never separate himself from you, but you can walk outside and contrary to his word, which is separating yourself from God. Because God never separates himself from his word. Watch that. They shall be on Aaron and on his sons, and they shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, and they, that they do not incur iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. I just find that so serious that, you know, God is bringing, he's bringing this, basically this clothing situation. But again, it's all about the symbolism of what it is to be a believer now, abiding in Christ, having him as our covering, having, having his righteous acts, the, the, the garment of righteousness upon us, about having this sash, girding things together, holding the, the, the tunic over the robe and, you know, binding up so something doesn't flap open and expose anything, which even then God has a covering for, but he wants things held tightly together. And of course, you know, from Ephesians 6, what the sash is, right? It's the word of God. It's the truth. Truth is what binds us, right? He's got the turban that's showing his submission and the obedience to God, the covering of God on him, right? And again, these trousers that we not be revealed. All of these things we're supposed to basically dress in as followers of Christ. Just like God tells us to put on the armor every day from Ephesians 6, he has a priestly activity for us to walk in daily that is all provided for by the garment that Christ has given us now to wear by faith in him. Amen? Thank you for joining us for this study through the book of Exodus this evening. If you would like more information about Selah Fellowship, please visit us on the web at salahfellowship.org. While you are there, feel free to check out some of our other messages and past book studies. Thank you again, and God bless.